Hello, we are live. We're alive. Um, welcome to every everybody. That's we're freezing. <laughs> we're oh. live and we're freezing. We're freezing already. Um, yeah, if we have any issues, let me know. Uh, so if you could see up at the top, Mike, maybe it tells you that we're running live and who's looking. Uh, we got some likes already. Uh, right now, this is streaming on our pencil to pencil Facebook group. Uh, Facebook page, and also I have it on my Jamar Nicholas Facebook page. So, you know, as we go along, we can move that around. Like, say, if you want to just stream it on YouTube in the Pencil to Pencil page, um, you know, whatever whatever we want to do. But I figured we'd start here. Um, and like I said, I will also control the comments as we go along. So welcome. Welcome to the Pencil Pencil Podcast. I'm Jamar Nicholas. I'm here with my best bud, Mike Manley. Good evening, everyone. And um, for you guys uh, who are not in the know, Pencil to Pencil Podcast is a um, creative podcast run by myself, Mike Manley, and our good friend, Brett Blevins, who's going to be off camera tonight. Um, we have been doing podcasts Oh, I just lost Mike. Mike, what happened? Uh, I'll just keep running. I'll keep running my mouth. I'm sure he'll be back. Um, but the Pencil to Pencil podcast, uh, Mike, uh, Brett, and myself started it last year uh, with a string of interviews with uh, some of our creative pals and other people from different uh, aspects of the business. And... Um, Started off pretty strong, and then it got a little wiggly in the middle there. Um, but we are back now that we have uh, the power of StreamYard and some new tools at our at our disposal. Hey, Mike, there you I'm are. Back. Um, <laughs> uh, so we figured now, since everybody's under quarantine and we can uh, play with this new tech, why not reintroduce the brand? So before we get started, I uh, want to say hello to everybody who's watching. Hey, my good friend, JRD, I'm going to bring you in in a second. Um, but I want to give some love to our sponsor. Um, just if you didn't know, Pencil to Pencil is brought to you by Clip Studio Paint. Yes, that Clip Studio Paint. Uh, they're good the friends. The one I'm using right now. <laughs> That's right. The good friends of uh, the podcast and also of us in our creative studios. So if you are interested in picking up the software, you can visit them online. Uh, everybody there at the team uh, are great and are willing to help you figure out all the kinks to the program. So check it out. Um, so, Mike, uh, we have some comments already. Um, a little big up for my man, J. Robert Dean says, good evening. <laughs> uh, and also, you got, that's for you, Mike. <laughs> I'm uh, doing good, as good as anyone who sits for 57 hours a day <laughs> yeah. is drawing, drawing comics. Yeah, that's it's pretty good. Pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, 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 no foreign viruses uh, allowed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you. We should be getting sponsored by uh, like really comfy chairs, right? Herman Miller. We need a, Herman Miller is a Herman Miller chairs is a is a uh, a sponsor. Oh, and is uh, our good friend Joe good looking? Good hey, guys. Joe. 
Uh, so I think we owe Joe a cheesesteak lunch at some point. We got to figure that out, Mike. We'll have a, a DoorDash <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Filled with nitrile gloves and face masks. <laughs> so um, I want to jump right into it um, for anybody here that is used to seeing me uh, or her coming in from my uh, Facebook page. Uh, you may be used to seeing me do uh, other endeavors like Coffee Break with JN, which I'll still do. It'll probably do it tomorrow. Um, but I don't want to confuse the two brands, right? I'm doing something a little <laughs> of Mike's. Yeah, and it matches the uh, matches our logos, too. Nice cup. Um, I don't want to confuse what I'm doing with the other thing I'm doing. So and That's what, a dollar store cup. That's a beautiful color. Uh, so one thing I want to get over with what we're doing here is it's going to be a real natural back and forth between Mike, myself, Brett, if he shows up or comes on and any other guests that we're going to have. Uh, and just to give you guys a little kind of quick just insight. Like a, a normal conversation that we have right. back and forth once or twice a week. Right. And I tried to dub our podcast when we first started as a fly on the wall style, meaning if you ever wanted to hear how creators just, you know, talk shop or talk to each other, um, this is this is the kind of formatting you're going to get. I'm not going to break this down into 10 minute little chunks of, you know, uh, what happens in the first 10 minutes and the 20 minutes or a little uh, time stamps. We're just going to run our mouths and, you know, see what happens. All right. So um, I'm going to throw some more comments up here, Mike, and then we're going to get started. Okay. Oh, uh, there's our, our good buddy Ben. Loves the headphones. DJ, I got headphones on too, Ben. Oh, these are I got these new just for the uh, the podcast. The mm -hmm. my old headphones that I had probably 20 years. This part started uh, dissolving. You get that part where it starts to fray apart. Yeah. Yeah, and like every time you take it off for the rest of the day, you've got like weird black <laughs> things dropping down on the rest of your clothes. It's still they still sounded good, and I like tried to do the duct tape and everything, but it was like, yeah, it's probably just time to get some new ones. Um, so now that we kind of got to where we are now, uh, Mike, I thought if you felt up to it, we could do a little bit of a background check in. Um, I've been one of my favorite new things. I've Background been, check. I just did one of those you have to the, your, with the FBI. I'm, I'm clean, man. I'm clean. You just have to uh, get your real ID for the from the government. Uh, oh, and that's one thing that happened with me. I actually have to get a background check to be mm -hmm. to to uh, teach the high school class. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, yeah. Any any um, contact with minors uh, as an educator, you have to get. Uh, background checks, and then you have to get them refreshed every so often. So if you got a background check in 1997, it's time for another one. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's every. Uh, I think it's every three years they make you do it. Yeah, something like that. Uh, oh, also, guys, um, since we're coming in on, on, in StreamYard world, I can't see if you're in the room or not. So the only way I know that you're here is if you comment. So type something in the comments. Uh, get involved ask us some questions, ask Mike some questions about his spectacular career, and we'll just, you know, keep it moving. I'll lie. <laughs> um, so one thing, Mike, uh, that I was, I've was i been into and I've been sharing with you guys is this uh, YouTube channel called Comic Troops. 
which is not new by any means of the word, but it's kind of new to me. And I've been very excited about watching these episodes. And, and this guy, Chris, who runs this channel, does very involved kind of drill downs about parts of the comic book industry. Uh, he just, I just watched an episode about Jim Shooter for Mar uh, the uh, infamous Marvel oh, editor okay. back in the 80s. And I think, Mike, you probably worked with Jim or you crossed paths a couple of times, right? Yeah, not too much at Marvel, but mm -hmm. more when he started Valiant. Mm -hmm. And um, I had done uh, Exo Man of War and I was doing stuff and uh, he really liked what I was doing. And he basically wanted me to come over and become like a main guy, but I've always been one of those artists that never wanted to like be exclusive kind of thing. I always weirds me out a little bit too much. Yeah. I guess I'm just too suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. But, and I'd heard all these stories about how, you know, he would make people change things and he was like a control dude, mm -hmm. you know, kind of control freak. Mm -hmm. But I always got along with him really, really well. The, 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 the only time I had a little, peek into that other side was um, I was laying out Magnus Robot Fighter. <laughs> I love that he just chops robots with his hands. I love right, right. <laughs> with, um, uh, Bill Reinhold. and That's when it was at, at um, Dark Horse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They had gotten a hold of the license and so they were doing it. And Jim was writing it and Bill was drawing it but they were having, you know, deadline problems. So they um, asked me to lay it out. Mm -hmm. And then I got Jim's scripts, which were very, you know, very detailed. Mm -hmm. um, especially with like all these pictures of women's shoes and stuff. I should see if I could still find those. <laughs> um, but then he would um, get very picky about the layouts because he was like the old six panel mm -hmm. you know the old style almost like the early marvels where right. ditko and kirby did those like six panel pages um nothing with any exaggeration as far as like anything breaking the panel border into another panel um and uh so i uh said well if you guys don't like it fine i was just trying to help you guys out i guess i don't know what i'm doing after 30 years of doing this it's you know, mm -hmm. good luck. And they were like, mm -hmm. oh, no, 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 no. And then, then I think they just stopped sending the pages to Jim. So, right, right. <laughs> so, uh, 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 but yeah, so, you know, and in fact, I think the first time I met Jim Shooter was at a convention and he had that famous issue of, I'm trying to remember, it's an old Marvel where there was one of those team books and mm. it was the human torch. Uh, and he fought this guy named pace pot Pete or the acrobat or somebody who was dressed up as captain America before they brought back captain America. I think they and, call his names, the trapster now. Is that? Yeah. Him? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he would, he would have that book with him. Mm. So when you would go show Jim your samples, he would go, yeah, the, yeah. But look at this. And he would lead you through the book and say, this is how you're supposed to tell mm. a story. Mm. So mm -hmm. he was really sort of like a medium shot yeah, guy. Yeah. If you look mm -hmm. at those old comics from that time, mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of medium shots where you see the character in relationship to the other characters and the mm -hmm. character in relationship to the background. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. a lot of the, like the stuff that came later mm -hmm. with the slanting panel borders and all that kind of stuff, which, yeah. you know, Gil Kane was doing in the seventies. Yeah. I don't think he was a real fan of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, but uh, you know, you'll hear stories about people in comics like that and you'll hear somebody they were his they were best friends and they did all kind of great stuff i know he did a lot of favors for brett in the beginning when he first moved out uh mm. east he and his late wife patricia moved out east mm. it was very nice to them and then you hear other people he's like the worst guy ever in comic books you know right so, right yeah. and the truth is always in between yeah. And based upon your experience with that person, it's not always, we always mm -hmm. have to take that mm -hmm. into a consideration. But I, I always got along with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even in the, the episode I watched, uh, the host talked a lot about how polarizing Shooter was and that, you know, he, he knew what he was doing, but, you know, maybe if he was just a bit more user friendly, he probably wouldn't have wound up you know his career probably would have taken a different path i i think often in comics the people who like this uh like this medium uh tend to be uh more introverts than extroverts mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the introverted people usually don't have great person-to-person -person skills mm -hmm. And the first skill you should have as an editor, besides understanding the, the particular business of comics or book publishing or whatever, is you have to be good at working with people. Yeah. And if your people skills are really, really bad, mm -hmm. you can be really knowledgeable and have a, a great ideas, but you will have a hard time getting it across and getting other people to cooperate or work with you because if you step on people's toes they kind of go back and they're like mm, 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 mm. right right you know? um and very often in comics i think that the older generation of guys like you know julie schwartz archie goodwin people like that they worked in pu publishing in general they mm. had other outside jobs they didn't just come up being inside of comics right and i think part of the problem with the business i've had often is it's too inside comics mm -hmm. you know and the people mm -hmm. don't have really good interpersonal skills mm -hmm. so but what about just kind of a corollary of that what about when uh comics tries to bring in people from another side of business like, you know, does, doesn't it make more sense to have an editor who has come up through that kind of system? But also, is it better if they're just like a straight, like a copy editor who understands grammatical structure and knows enough about uh, uh, storytelling that they can just okay things and guide you through? Or do you need somebody who has such a strong idea about what they want to see? that it kind of uh, weakens the coffee, so to speak. I, I think you need a, a person who has a combination of both being good at communication, number mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. and number two, being familiar with the medium mm -hmm. and the particulars of that particular 
uh, type of comic. Like if you're working for Marvel, but you don't really know Marvel, it would be really kind of hard to, you know, steer the ship. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're not going to be a good harbor master. You're not going to be able to steer the ship through the harbor because you don't understand the waters, right? Right, right. Um, right. And uh, the thing about the older guys, when I came in, those guys have been doing it for a long time. Yeah. Very, very long time. So they had a very encyclopedic idea of what comics are now, were, and, ha- and had been way into the past. And I think the experience I have now often working with someone is those people that I grew came in and grew with they're gone yeah. and a lot of the younger people don't have the same sort of uh, same sort of uh, knowledge grand knowledge of the medium mm-hmm. and they also don't have your the knowledge of your history with mm-hmm. the business right mm-hmm. so like when I work Carl Potts or like Carlin or mm-hmm. any of those Gadani or any of those Gadani finger off any of those people, they knew my history right? as well as the Marvel history or the DC history. Mm-hmm. And so they knew what I had done and right. how I fit into that mosaic of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think very often now the person coming in may not have, you know, if you've, if you've been doing this over 30 years, it's very likely that some people will not be familiar with everything that you did. So let's talk about that for a second. Like the editorial is almost like the sixth man on the comic basketball team, right? Uh, Not necessarily, I guess you can look at it as the coach, but more like somebody who has a lot of influence on how things are going, right? I know a lot of kind of modern people who follow comic books know about the relationship between a writer and the the artist, right? Or the penciler or whoever else is in the creative team. But um, especially in the 80s when you guys were doing all that heavy Marvel work, did you did you just expect to have a lot of input from editorial? Or do they I think it depended upon I think it depended upon the book. Mm -hmm. Like if it was like the X-Men or something that's like Spider-Man, like an important Mm -hmm. or Batman, Mm -hmm. those books always have a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And there's a, you know, uh, but even I would say pre 90, probably the books that got the most attention were probably in my experience. Now, other people could have had very different experience, but in my experience, the books that people really cared about were the X-Men books at Marvel. Right. So if I was working on Quasar or you know, Dark Hawk or whatever, those, yeah, fine. They're not going to worry about that. But mm-hmm. um, anything that had Wolverine in it, mm-hmm. that yeah. was something that people would really pay attention to. Right. And even, I think, for a while at, Bat- at DC, Batman was not... Um, as controlled as he became mm-hmm. when I started working on the book, they would have those editorial meetings um, mm-hmm. and uh, they would sort of plan out the whole year. Yeah. You know, it would be just two people coming in, having lunch in the editor's office, shooting the, the, the shit, giving some ideas. Okay. And then you go do your thing. It wasn't like, Oh, if it were the X-Men or the Wolverine was in it or something, then you have to get clearance. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. you didn't need to have clearance as, as, as much. Now it seems like everything's all, everything's coordinated. Right. And, you know, I know all about like 
just before I got into the business, you I would hear inside baseball things like, oh, you know, every summer the uh, Batman family editors get together and they have, you know, kind of like a, a retreat and a planning meeting. Um, That's how Bane came about, supposedly, at one of those retreats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. I didn't go to that. I didn't go to that, or I probably would have gotten a little piece of Bane, but I didn't go to that. <laughs> just I didn't a little, go to that retreat. Just a little. Yeah, bit. yeah. Hey, uh, Mike, yeah. we have a question. So, my good buddy Jim, who's a great guy, says, "How about a novelist getting the call to write comics? Would you consider that like someone from the outside, or do you know of many novelists getting tapped to write comics?" My only experience with that really was. Um, working on the adaption of Weave World by Clive Barker. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when they were doing all the Hellraiser books and all that stuff. Yeah. And uh, Barker wasn't about to do the adaption of his uh, novel for the comic. So they got this guy Pete to do it. And I went over to England and met him. Pete was a real nice guy. Mm -hmm. I think the hardest, the hardest thing is to uh, learn how to, edit a novel which can be very expensive mm -hmm. oh mike froze <laughs> i hope he comes back oh well, hopefully we can uh get Mike back here. Um, hold on, I'm going to boot him and then see if he comes, he can come back. <clears throat> um, you guys are watching. Pencil Pencil Podcast. Um, and my dog is now barking, it's scratching. I'm hey, back. My, yeah, I kicked you out for a second, you froze. Oh, okay. Um, all right. You were freezing all right. before so, that, sorry. but now we're okay. So, uh, oh, okay. So I guess I'll back up. Um, my experience with the novel to comics was the Weave World adaption. Um, and as I was saying, the difference, the main difference is that novels are expansive and even a graphic novel is much, much smaller, right? And so there's things that you do in the novel that you have to adapt so that it will work within the format, like four issues of 48 pages. There's gotta be stuff you gotta cut. There's a lot of uh, interior dialogue that might have to be eliminated, dialogue that has to be trimmed mm -hmm. because you can't just have, you know, giant, you know, mm -hmm. huge paragraphs of, of, of dialogue. Um, and I think that was the guy, Pete, uh, the guy who uh, did the adaption. I think that was his first comic. I and mean, he did a pretty good job, but it was still, it was very hard. Right. Yeah, that that reminds me a little bit. And, you know, obviously, Mike and I have different careers, but I've been around for a bit. And when I adapted Fistic Knife Gun, um, I was coming at that adaptation because I illustrated that as really trying to format something that wasn't ever meant to be visual. Right. So there's just a lot of packing and unpacking and trying to make things fit in some sort of storytelling format that makes sense. Not necessarily editing, but kind of maybe leaving some things out that just don't make sense story-wise 
from a visual standpoint that may have worked fine in the prose. Got yeah, I think that that is um, comics are less poetic in that regard mm -hmm. than novels. Yeah, uh, they can be visually poetic, but I think the writing tends to be, at least in my opinion, less poetic than you're able to get in a novel. And I think that's because you have to wait that on the visual side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, no, that totally makes sense. Um, yeah, so we're starting to get some more comments and questions here. Um, my good, and it's funny since this is really still on our Facebook pages, almost everybody here are people I know. So um, the spectacular uh, visual artist, Michael Lagaki. Uh, ask what book was a blast to work on, and I'm assuming he's asking you, Mike. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think the last comic that I really enjoyed working on was the uh, Superman Adventures comic for DC, which was based on the TV show, which mm -hmm. I really loved working on as a storyboard guy because mm -hmm. to me that was like the best of Superman. You got stuff from the old comics and the stuff from the Chris Reeve movie and the Fleischer cartoons and it's all blended well together and I really I still think that that's the uh, for me outside of the Fleischer cartoons and the first Christopher Reeve movie that's the best Superman mm -hmm. yeah that was that was that was one of my favorite projects of yours um just to throw my own weight on <laughs> what I enjoyed from you, Mike, is of course Darkhawk, but uh, I really love Monster Man. That was one of my favorites. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I, I still think about going back and doing that character at some point. In fact, uh, one of the things I have to do this year is go take my old uh, G5 and the zip and the jazz drives that have those files and extract them Mm -hmm. onto, uh, and and maybe repurpose that stuff. Yeah. Put it online. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there I have a lot of ideas to do things with characters like that, but you know, drawing two comic strips keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> right. And oh, you know what? Thinking about that, when just for some of you guys who aren't familiar with Mike's pedigree, which you all should be at this point, uh, Mike. Uh, uh, blasted into the mid '90s, uh, self-publishing. Right, that's around the, the time frame. Right, <laughs> a little, little uh, studio cat love of uh, with Action Planet, and uh, Mike's title was Monster Man. And I know Mike, you were really experimenting with some stuff. Like you had oversized issues, and then you had uh, some, you know, normal size floppies and things like that. But that was around the point you were coloring digitally, but there was no digital format for distribution yet. Like you didn't have like an ebook or a comicsology file for that stuff, did you? No, that was like ninety nine. Mm. Oh yeah, it was that a little was, later, right? It was yeah. ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, so yeah, I did a the giant size, which was pretty close to the size of those old Marvel tabloids mm -hmm. those big 
big size, the treasury editions that they yeah. used to put out. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved those so much as a kid. And I wanted to do one. So we did that, the giant size Halloween special. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had probably started self-publishing two or three years earlier, it probably would have had a, maybe a different outcome. Yeah, yeah. When I started, that's right when Capital City went out of business. Mm -hmm. And when Capital City went out of business, about half the comic retailers seemed to go out of business. And mm -hmm. so our numbers dropped dramatically. Yeah. Like if Jeff Smith had started when I started, things might have been different. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the stores that ordered his his uh his work mm -hmm. were gone. Yeah. You know, and we're mm -hmm. dealing with that now today with Diamond, you know, the whole fallout of Diamond not carrying books for the next month or two or three or whatever. Uh, yeah. Um and we're uh, that's a big can of worms and I don't know if our audience is thinking that we're going to get spicy but how are you uh, feeling about all of this distribution drama that's happening right now i think it was almost inevitable that this is like a playing jenga you know what i mean like you pull mm -hmm. one brick out and all of a sudden the whole thing may fall down i think that that the fact that that so i teach a class at the pennsylvania academy uh, high school, after school program, illustration. And all the kids love comics. None mm -hmm. of them read Marvel or DC. They all read webtoons, they all read anime, they all look at anime, they all read manga. None of them read stuff. stuff. So I've got 25, 30 kids who read comics yeah. in that class every week. Mm -hmm. They don't care about Captain America. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. Where, where, are the publishers in trying to include those readers, which is where we were mm -hmm. right at that age. Yeah. We were reading print because there was no other alternative. Mm -hmm. I think that none of the publishers are really dealing with that and don't seem to be really wanting to deal with that, mm -hmm. which would mean that you would have to be creating the next Spider-Man, the next Fantastic Four, the next Pokemon, the next, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, the next, the next characters that they could get on board with. It's on YouTube and these other formats that they're looking at. That's what they're looking at. They're looking at it on the cell phone. They're mm -hmm. not looking at print. They're not. They want a whole story at one time. Right. They don't want to be paying seven dollars for twenty-two pages, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, the weakness of the direct market is the fact that it is basically it's aging out, right? It's aging out. Most of the people that come up and see us at shows have gray. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't see a 12 year old bringing a box behind him with stuff he wants to sign anymore. Right? No, no. That's, that's gone. Right. right? Yeah. So. I think that people love comics, obviously. I mean, you know, Webtoons was spending all that money, what, two, three years ago, going to all the shows. Yeah. Obviously, they realized that that was not their demographic. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. the teenage girl in my class that reads the Webtoons, and they, they'll tell me, I like comics, but I don't ever read Batman or anything like that. And they're not interested. Yeah. Um. You know, we've had a million conversations about this and just kind of 
the the fact that most comic book fans and this is just my opinion um usually kind of kick in at a certain age and just keep writing this out expecting comics not to change or age with them you know what uh, we need now we need to need to have a little editorial come up we need a little <laughs> editorial thing editorial window can come up i'll make that i'll make that yeah, like the, the, the views of Jamar Nicholas are not expressed by pencil to pencil. Right. Um, so hold on. I'm trying to read through this at the same time. You uh, need to get, get your Jim Gardner on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna have to have Sandra uh, control the comments in here. I, it's, I'm doing a lot. Uh, Mike says, when do you ever see an ad for a comic book anywhere that isn't already aimed at comic readers? Very rare. I remember... A while, thanks, Mike. Um, I would say things like, and I have lots of opinions about comic book conventions and how everybody likes to complain about how comic book conventions are not really about comic books, they're about entertainment and Hollywood. And I feel like that's something that we could reclaim and take back if we wanted to. But, you know, just like the National Milk Council or the potato, the potato foundation or however they do that you know i think it's easy enough to have a billboard for comic books right but you um, know the, the the other thing is that what does dc advertise the most batman yeah what sells the most batman so i bet if we want to spend our advertising dollars on what sells the best we spend our money on batman they don't put it on you know Jimmy Olsen or something. Right. Right, you know right, I mean? right. So they always it's so it's just advertising the same thing in the same way to the same people who are always buying the same stuff. But then it looks good when they say, How much money did we spend last year on Batman? Right. Oh, we spent this much money on mm -hmm. Batman. And what sold the most last year? Batman. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> right. Energy. We must be doing something right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you know, I remember back before we were uh, living under the the city like twelve monkeys. Um, you would go to Barnes and Noble, and they would have some comic books in the literature racks, but they're usually Archie's and Batman. And yep. and that was it. You know, it wasn't a full blown run of DC titles or even a lot of Marvel titles it was very, very specific what had distribution uh, lanes at the Barnes and Noble. And that's not on accident. Well, the, the, the reality is that comics for the most of their existence was always something that was an impulse buy because it was cheap, right? For the bulk of the history of comic books mm -hmm. is a, a business. It was an impulse buy and was cheap. It was less than the cost of a candy bar. Mm -hmm. It was everywhere that you went that had a newsstand, from a 7-Eleven to a supermarket to a drugstore or whatever. They were everywhere. So it was pretty easy to find one. You didn't have to really look for them. They were just there. Right. Now you have to specifically look for them. Know that they're there, number one, that they're still being made, and that you specifically want to go to a place at a specific time to find that type of thing. And so I see uh, the kids all reading, uh, you know, anime, you know, uh, reading manga, watching anime. That's just normal like it was to us watching, you know, Gilligan's Island or Star Trek or, or whatever, 
watching Bugs Bunny. When you come home every day at four o'clock, Bugs Bunny is on or Popeye or whatever. That's just what you saw because that's what it was there. You didn't right. have to go look for it. Right. 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 And, and so I think that's why comics are still hugely popular all over the world. It's just that our particular way of doing them in the United States has really just been what was like a walled city. So you got to be a person who's really into that particular type of thing. Uh, pretty much had to grow up with it. Mm -hmm. They're pretty much impossible to just to discover. And, you know, I, I think of it, 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 you know, if you look at something like Pokemon or something like that, I would say the only character to me that's really as accessible might be Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. I think any kid can like Spider-Man. Right. I was a Spider-Man kid. Guilty. Right. You know, I think any kid can like Spider-Man mm -hmm. or su or Superman and maybe the old Batman. Not maybe the new Batman, but maybe the old Batman, you know. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if I, I so I, I'm very active and, and question the students about what they like. I always ask every year, what do you like? What are you guys into? What are you reading? What are you looking at? Because mm -hmm. I'm very interested because these kids are interested in being artists, cartoonists or uh, concept designers or animators. Everybody wants to be a 2D animator. Mm -hmm. um, and so I look at what they're looking at. They're looking at YouTube. They're looking at uh, the Internet. They're not reading print. Now, I would try to turn them on to stuff that they can look at, mm -hmm. but which I feel is my job as a teacher right. to try to turn them on to that. Mm -hmm. um, but not one kid's coming in with like, oh, here's all my John Byrne, Chris Claremont X-Men. <laughs> well, it's just, it's dated in a way that I think it's even different for how, you know, we're uh, maybe a generation removed from each other. Um, yes, that's true, Jamar. But, you know, I knew that I grew up in a time where uh, kids shared a lot of the same interests as their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, I grew up in a, a really musical house. Nobody played an instrument, but there are a lot of records laying all around, and I love, you know, Donna Summer and Nina Simone and all of the kind of stuff because that was kind of what was going on. Um, and I don't think that part of the hobby is kind of passed on to the next generation because kids kind of have their own thing and the 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 likes of parents don't penetrate the same way they used to so it'll be i would be really surprised to see a, a 12 year old kid really being a john Byrne fantastic for you know right right I, I mean most of our friends who are artists or cartoonists or work in this business introduce their kids to the good stuff because that's right because we know we have that we have the, the knowledge right yeah um but you figure there's a kid out there who just likes to draw something, like a lot of the kids that come to my class. They just like to draw something. Right. And then they see some anime manga thing, and they like that because that's just what they see. And they go, yeah. oh, that's cool. Right. right. And they're not even yet at the point where they're super discerning. You're just interested. You're curious. You're interested. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, so like you said, you found that issue of Spider-Man, mm -hmm. and you liked it, and then you wanted some more Spider-Man. Well, it was pretty easy as a kid for you to find Spider-Man. Right. Right. Now, mm -hmm. it's not so easy to find print stuff like the anime and the manga stuff. It's not as, as easy to find that in stores now and, and just say, just take Philadelphia. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you go to the Fat Jacks. They didn't have any mm -hmm. stuff. 
because you could go five blocks down to the, the borders. Yeah. Right. And there, right. And was stocked. Well, well mm-hmm. stocked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember talking to the manager one there the one day and asking him that what, cause I took, I went with uh, Liang and Mimi and we went in there and I figured, Oh, I had been in there a while. They probably have a lot of good stuff. And they had like no manga. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why don't you guys have manga? It seems kind of bizarre. And he basically said, because people can walk down the street to to uh, Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. and read it. And I remember 10 years ago, you would go into Borders and there was all those teenage girls <laughs> just sitting on the floor <laughs> reading comics, right? Yeah. They were reading yeah. comics. So that can't even happen now, except in Barnes and Noble, and they're just shuttered all their stores, mm-hmm. just about because mm-hmm. of the virus thing. But a lot of places, a lot of cities don't actually even have bookstores like that anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the kid, the my students are finding out everything from this. That's that's the access point to any mm-hmm. entertainment now is usually this. Mm-hmm. So as a creator, or I like to speak uh, as the layman or somebody who's still an amateur trying to figure all of this out, um, should you even be thinking about print comics? Like, before I even ask you any more questions, Mike, I usually, when I talk to people who are trying to get into the business or trying to figure out what they need to do first or next, is I say that there is a very obvious conceit to wanting to see your book on a comic book rack, right? That's a, that's a very ego thing. I, I had it. That's what was a main draw for me wanting to do comics. I wanted to go into the comic book store that I had spent so many years going into as a customer. Get out of, get out of here. You reprobate. John, he's stealing. <laughs> <laughs> and saying, seeing my comic book that I created on the shelf with everybody else's stuff and feeling like, well, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do, right? You're supposed to do this, but there's so many other avenues that seem to work a lot better than where we are now with floppy comics. Um, would you even say to a like a new person coming in or asking you a question in the supermarket to, you know, what, what did Kirby say? Comics, comics break your heart, kid. <laughs> you know? uh, I think, no, I've been teaching that class at PAFA for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of changes in that 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. And um, the real difference is, is there's so much more entertainment just in general today than there was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now you have all the streaming services and all that's just boom, 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 just blowing up, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think if you were a kid who was interested in drawing mm-hmm. telling a story or making monsters or whatever, there's so many other things to pull your interest besides comics. Mm-hmm. That was the, the sort of the default for our generation because there really wasn't anything else. Right. right? You want to maybe be an animator or, you know, my buddy John wanted to do special effects. So he went out and he was at ILM, mm-hmm. um, but you didn't have as much like video games was not something in the same way that it is now. 
Right, that was my generation. I was a video game. Right, but player. now, not like Call of Duty and all no. the stuff that they have now, right? No, I had Atari basketball. It was a white dot and a red dot. Right, right. <laughs> so just the amount of entertainment that requires the same skill set that would go almost exclusively into comics, animation, and some science fiction, that can go now into concept art for games, yeah. animation, all different uh, VR stuff that they're developing now. I mean, there's so much more out there than drawing Captain America or Spider-Man. Right. And the idea, like I always tell the, the, the students, like the Pangea that I came from, that, that Pangea does not exist anymore, right? It was kind of like this. And now that's just expanded. There's so much other stuff. I couldn't draw a comic and put it on Instagram and get 1,500 likes yeah. when I was 15 years old. Right. I could draw a comic, and I could go to the local comic book store, and I could mm -hmm. pin it up on the display board. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And then maybe people who went to that particular comic book store could see it. Right. You know? So um, I think comics now is just one small little thing that, you, that in, a, in a vast sea, one possibility in a vast sea of, of possibilities for a young creative person. The one thing I think that it has over everything else mm -hmm. is that you alone can be the alpha and the omega. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that making... Um, Cartoon, mm -hmm. can't do that doing a game, mm -hmm. can't do that in almost anything else. But one person can make, one person could be Jack Lee, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. One person could be Mobius, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one person can be Charles Schultz, yeah. you know, one person can be Otomo, mm -hmm. you know, one, one person be, can do that. You can't do that with animation because it's a collaborative per, uh, process and you need literally hundreds of people sometimes to make these things, right? Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I remember probably, it was probably before I even met you and I was uh, climbing my way into the business and um, I almost felt like it was a setback that I had to figure out how to do everything. Like I, was, I came in self-publishing and I did my little comics and everything I ever figured out about comics, I threw on every page. So it was like all over the place, but I did it. And I remember there was a whole different vibe between mainstream guys and indie guys back uh, in the mid nineties or even uh, the late nineties when the internet started popping. And when people started getting a, uh, uh, put out of the system because of aging out or having like those new uh, uh, era of editors come in and not hire the same guys that they used to hire back in the day. Uh, all of a sudden, these same guys that would kind of sniff at me funny were now trying to ask me questions about how, how did you, wait a minute, you did this whole book yourself? You know what? I should self-publish a book. But I don't know how to do that. I just know how to pencil stuff. How do you how do you use Photoshop? You know, all of a sudden, this kind of deficiency that I had was now an asset. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I remember we used to talk a lot, uh, maybe even 15 years ago. 
And damn, we've been friends for a while. Um, <laughs> over 15 years ago, about there were there was a real slippery slope with a lot of guys that we knew who weren't weren't transitioning well into the new kind of new reality of having to run your own shop without having a gig at DC. And, you know, how do you create a revenue stream as a cartoonist when you've just been penciling monthly comic books for 20, 30 years? What do you do next? Yeah, I think the, the one thing about comics was that, it, like I said, it was basically the same way for almost all of his existence. For instance, a guy like Williamson, Al Williamson, could basically work the same way his whole career. Piece of paper, pencil, pens and inks. He worked the same way at the end of his career that he did at the beginning of his career. Mm -hmm. Right? Same with Kirby and all the great generation of those guys. They worked exactly the same way their entire career with basically the same tools, you know, mm -hmm. the same kind of pen, paper, whatever. They didn't have to get a computer. They didn't have to do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Halfway through my career, everything changed drastically. Well, I got a computer. Yeah. I could see that's the way everything was going. Right. In 94, I bought my first computer. Mm -hmm. Now I could not actually do my job if I did not have a computer. Mm -hmm. It would be actually impossible for me to do my job. You know what makes right. your job a lot simpler? Clip Studio well, Paint. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know, I can, uh, let me see if I can share my, let me get my. Oh, well, Mike, well, before, while you're doing that, um, there was a question. Uh, our good friend Steven uh, is in the room, and he asked back to the uh, comics distribution chain. Uh, he says, isn't there an opportunity to expose fans to new types of comics via the Internet? I think that kids are getting exposed to new types of things every day. I mean, that's a thing that, that that's one of the benefits, actually, to me of being a teacher yeah. is to talk to basically is to be right on the front lines with all the, the, the next generation of creative people, because I get to see what they are interested in doing as they are doing it. Right. As as they're like, oh, I just really like this book, you know, they'll they'll show me something that they're that they're into. So I think they the. The, the difference is it's not as um, random, right? Mm -hmm. Computer then has an algorithm. If you go on YouTube or if you go on something, you can find something uh, that's like it very easily now. The, either the algorithm will suggest something to you or there's a, you know, groups or, or you know, everything is, is telling you, Oh, you like this kind of chocolate milk? Well, there's this chocolate milk over here. You like this kind of thing? There's more of that over here. Right. Where when I was, say, 14, and I would go into a used bookstore, and I would see a paperback cover by Frazetta by accident, by looking mm -hmm. through paperbacks. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Who's this guy? Who's this artist? Right. You might, like I remember, there's a guy I love, uh, Franklin Booth. I always use him as an example. Mm -hmm. I one illustration on the back of a, I think a Bud Plant catalog. <laughs> yeah. Had a drawing by Franklin Booth. Mm -hmm. I didn't see another Franklin Booth drawing for probably 10 years. From the time I saw that as a teenager till I actually saw another book on Franklin Booth, right? 
So I didn't even know what the guy's name was. I just knew I liked that art. Now it's so much easier for you to find out something that you like. So I'm always asking the students because I'm very curious. If you're 15 and you're creative and you want to be a, you know, an animator or you, you know, the interesting thing to me is that they're interested and they can find all this stuff, but they don't actually know what questions to ask. Right. That's why I try to help them as a teacher is try to get them to learn how to ask questions. Because if you don't ask the computer the right question, the computer can't give you the right answer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so they seem to be doing a good job of finding comics. They're just not interested in finding the kind of comics that we were interested in reading, right? Mm -hmm. You're not going to go by the Cree Skull Roar by, you know, Roy Thomas and Neil mm -hmm. Adams. Yeah. They could give a crap about that. It's never going to be important to them, right? right. Mm -hmm. and, and even the stuff that they're consuming today, except for that very small, hardcore percentage, it's just, it's just like fast food. Yeah. The consumer, it's not going to stick. It's not going to resonate with them except for that small core mm -hmm. who want to go on and to be creators. Um, right. And, you know, you've got those several internet companies like Webtoons and there's a couple other ones. They're just pumping out massive amounts of Webtoons for people to consume. Mm -hmm. It's kind of how comic books were for us when we were kids. You could go and you'd go to the drugstore and there'd be a bajillion comic books and you find the one that you're interested in, you know, sad right. sack, Richie rich or <laughs> hot Charles. stuff. The little hot. devil. Right. Right. You know, yeah. I always despised that stuff as a kid. I was uh, totally only into like superheroes and stuff and science fiction. Oh, but wow. um, yeah. The, so I think they uh, will be interested in what they see just like we were, except the way they go about seeing it again, all has to do with you looking through this device, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. So mm -hmm. that idea of like flipping a page, your idea of what a page is to us, mm -hmm. the way it forms in our mind, the way we think about, well, I'm going to read to the page and I'm going to flip it. Mm -hmm. That's a completely different way than if I'm scrolling. Right. Right. They're right. used to this. Mm -hmm. Right. That's mm -hmm. how things begin and end is with a finger swish, not with a. Mm -hmm. Turning with a page, page turn, yeah. Right, so, and I just see that as they're, they're more like single imagey in that way. Mm -hmm. So also I feel like our job as business people is to be thinking about rather than, you know, well, how come they're not reading this stuff that I did? What's wrong with them? And like who moved my cheese into, well, how can I get this to them? Right. So I think it's on it's the onus is on us as creators to be finding new formats to put your old work in so that new eyeballs see it or, you know, maybe getting on the webtoons or, you know, maybe doing something fresh that might engage uh, a young audience. Um, I think it's one of our de deficiencies as older, <laughs> I'll say older creators is just kind of shaking our fists at the cloud. <laughs> being angry about you know people not just checking, checking for it. Hold on, hold on. I have to bring it in. Okay. Do you see it now? Yeah. Okay, check that. So, check that out, guys. That's awesome. So because of what's happened with the data to, to step on you there, just no, it's fine. 
to to because of what's happened with the coronavirus, um, Liang, who is one of my assistants, uh, who's been helping me on the Phantom, we're now having to work uh, remotely. Um, mm -hmm. And so what I would do is I would um, pencil. I penciled this strip, and then. Um, So then I would um, uh, traditionally, mm -hmm. and then um, we transferred it to her, and then she came in and she uh, uh, inked the uh, backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And now I'm inking the figures. And this is in Clip Studio. Um, I would prefer to work traditionally, but you know, again, we have to make we have to make all the changes that we need now, just because of the way the situation is unfolding. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I like Clip Studio, you know. Um, and I do the Judge Parker, the other strip. I do all digitally, so I draw. I do the whole the whole strip uh, digitally. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm working on this, uh, now. And, um, I will, uh, finish the rest of this, uh, tonight. Um, but I can go ahead and work on this while we're talking. Yeah. And are you okay with me leaving the screen up while you're working? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, this is in this breezy like conversation is usually like a day on the phone with Mike and I. Um, we try to cover a lot of different topics and cover a lot of bases. And if anything, they're always fun and they're usually educational in some in some way. Um, let me give one more ID, Mike. The hour is almost over. You believe that? Well, uh, we can go over. We can go over an hour. We can. Yeah, yeah, we yeah we could go on a little bit. We're, I don't have to do a commercial, but um, I wanted to uh, give it a, a little little blast to the podcast. Uh, so like I said at the beginning of the broadcast, um, Pencil Pencil, uh, Mike Manley, myself, Jamar Nicholas, and Brett Blevins started this, la was it last year, Mike? We've been talking yeah. about this for years of getting together and doing something. Uh, and we started um, recording last year, early last year. Uh, we have maybe five or six interviews in the can. If you visit us on uh, at PencilToPencil.com, you can uh, check those out. And also we have an account on Apple, right? On iTunes. I, we're on iTunes. We're and also, uh, Stitcher, right? Stitcher, yes, yeah, Stitcher. Um, and our last, <laughs> the robot came out. Um, our last interview we did was with uh, June Bridgman. Uh, and June is a fantastic uh, cartoonist, uh, probably most known to you guys for a run on Power Pack, uh, which is great. Um, with our new formatting here, uh, I believe Mike and I are going to try to do these every Wednesday uh, during the quarantine. So we're going to do a live um, StreamYard uh, episode later on. I'm going to try to uh, put this through the calendar and make it a podcast and put it on with the rest of our episodes. And then um, 
hopefully over the weekend, we can have one or two um, interviews with other creatives that will go directly to the podcast. So, um, but of course, this also depends upon the feedback from yes. our viewers. If you would much rather see us mm -hmm. uh, draw and, mm -hmm. and ramble, uh, mm -hmm. ramble on, uh, we're happy to to do that. I mean, it's really in the end, it's about us doing something that people are interested in watching. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really great point. And this won't all the format won't always be like this. Um, I enjoy running my mouth, and Mike is really great at drawing <laughs> when talking. So, um, you know, I don't mind moderating and asking questions, but it's not always going to be the Mike Manley show. Um, you know, uh, if anybody ever has questions for me or Mike, or we could, if you have questions about being a professional cartoonist or how does a studio run? Who's that human in the background at Mike's place? <laughs> you know, all of those things. Are oh yeah, who is that human? <laughs> Who's that human being back there? Um, you know, feel free to ask. And, you know, really one of the best things about this is this is a kind of like a, a live offshoot of Mike's Draw Magazine. Um, and Mike, maybe if you want to talk about your feelings about going to the internet and doing kind of like video and pod podcast to offset the magazine coming out. Well, I think it, again, it's just a natural progression of where the audience has been moving. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I started this uh, 20 years ago doing draw, it was really, um, my desire to do a magazine that was like uh, there was a step-by-step, -step, which was a magazine for commercial art mm -hmm. or illustration would cover design and, and things like that. And there had never been anything like that for comics where you really would talk about the, the, the nuts and bolts of how you did it, mm -hmm. interview people and how they, and their process. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd always, you know, there's great books like Marvel Comics, How to Draw Comics in Marvel Way. But again, that's only like as great as it was. It was just like a primer. It was like a real basic thing. Right. And there's a lot of other stuff that you need to know to be able to to do this. Um, so, and I've always been very curious about other artists' process of working because when I came up as an artist, you know, basically all you had was the the Marvel book. And yeah. I live on the East Coast. I lived in Michigan. So there was no cartoonists I could go like up to a bullpen or any place and, and even hope to uh, to uh, work mm -hmm. uh, or apprentice. So, um, And then I just, again, seeing where everybody is moving today. Everybody is moving online. I think it makes sense. It would be much better for people to see me do this, right? Do what yeah. I'm now you can actually see what mm -hmm. I'm doing and mm -hmm. why I'm doing it as opposed to me showing a still image mm -hmm. and an image. I mean, it's just like if you, if you, if you uh, watch somebody cook, right. better watch them cook to see how they cut the onions, how fine to cut the onions, mm -hmm. you show a picture of the onion, you know, like I remember watching Al Williams and ink, right? right. Mm -hmm. think, oh, okay. Everybody gets a pen and a brush. Everybody inks. But I actually learned something about how he inked because he would hold his pencil, his hold his pen 
Uh, let me see. Here we go. Hold on. Let me switch the, the format so I can see what you're doing. So can you see the pen? Yeah. All right. So I was holding my pen like this. Mm -hmm. I noticed that Al held his pen further back. Mm -hmm. and by holding it further back, he was able to get these longer, uh, swoopier, swooshy lines. He had mm -hmm. a beautiful line. Mm -hmm. And when I did that, I could do the same kind of line. Now that's not something he ever said. He didn't. He never said to me, "Okay, Mike, if you want to do inking this way, make sure you hold your, put your fingers back here." Right? Mm -hmm. I'd had my fingers up here. Right. But I learned that through observation. I never would have known that if I had not seen him doing it. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's mm -hmm. one of the things that you get from actually physically watching somebody ink, mm -hmm. right? That, that would have never been in any book. There's tons of art interviews and stuff on Al. No one would ever know that because yeah. they never saw that. There's no, there's nothing on him, how he actually held his pencil. So um, I think uh, the benefit of doing this, you can switch the screen back now if you want. The benefit of this is that the, st the students or anybody who's interested, get to see me actually physically do this stuff. So mm -hmm. um, that's the best way. And so I'm very much into, you just got to, as an artist, you have to adapt. So, you know, if I was 15, I would much prefer to see me doing this yeah. than to see a still image. Even as, as good, I would prefer to see John... Romita ink something. Mm -hmm. How he used a brush. Which is different than how Dick Giordano used a brush. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Never confuse a Dick Giordano pretty girl for a John Romita pretty girl. Although <laughs> most of them are primarily brushmen. Right. But obviously they're doing something different because Dick's work looked like Dick's work and John's work looked like John's work. Mm-hmm. Oh, speaking of that, and I was talking about that Comic Troops um, show earlier on YouTube. I like this. I like this version of us. You can kind of have our see our branding in the back. Oh, also shout out to our boy uh, Steve Conley for creating this magnificent uh, logo for us. The pencil to pencil uh, branding was made by uh, super cartoonist Steve Conley. Yeah, Thank I did a couple ske sketches and gave them to Steve and just told him to <laughs> run with it, and he came back with this. It looked really good. It is gorgeous. Um, oh, shit. I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> uh, but no, you know, I, I I enjoy where we're going, and I, you know, com coming back to what I was saying earlier about adapting, adapting is such an important skill of any business. Um you have to reinvent yourself and um, being on brand, even for whatever you're doing as a cartoonist is important. Oh, this is what I was going to say about comic troops. They had an episode about Vince Coletta. Oh, boy. And um, I like sharing that kind of stuff with my comic book pals because I like to hear stories. I like war stories, but I didn't throw this at you for that, Mike. But what I wanted to say, even though uh, everybody really kind of like hammers home how uh, Coletta ruined a lot of Kirby's work, is that 
you were still looking at this as a business and the most important thing was the deadline. And that's how Vince stayed employed for all those years. He didn't stay employed because people loved his work. Right. Like, like uh, people loved Neil Adams work. Right. right. That's not how, why Vince Coletta stayed uh, employed. He stayed employed because he got the job done. Somebody was, somebody uh, screwed the pooch on Friday and he brought the job in on Monday. <laughs> and for the bulk of the history of comics, what would be more important for the bottom line of the publisher was that that issue with Spider-Man or whatever went to the printer yeah. and got on the newsstands. And mm -hmm. you could argue all day long that X, Y, and Z artist was better. And they were. But the the amount of that issue that would sell based upon, you know, Neil Adams doing it as opposed to Vince mm -hmm. Coletta doing it. Mm -hmm. is marginal in the bulk of the history of the industry. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so that's why he, you know, he might have had his dog and his cat and his next door neighbor and, uh, you know, somebody down the street who needed five bucks come in and do stuff. But <laughs> got done. That that, right. Is that Monday morning when they had to send the, the, the book off to the printer, it went. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, and this is always fun. Um, Mike, can you uh, regale us in a quick uh, day in the life of back in the 80s when we didn't have all of this tech to get your job done as we do now? Like, tell them real quick about uh, trying to race the FedEx guy. <laughs> uh, well, I actually, there was two FedEx guys. There was the FedEx, when I shared uh, the studio with uh, Al and Brett, mm -hmm. uh, there was a FedEx guy, John, and he we got it worked out so that he would come by Al's studio. He would make him he would make us the last stop. Oh wow. So we worked it out. He was a real great guy. Sometimes he'd stop and you know we'd have some coffee or something or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and then I got to the point where I could make the run from my house in Upper Darby to the FedEx in at the Philadelphia airport. In, I think one day, like 12 minutes. Wow. You drove all the way to the airport. <laughs> airport in 12 minutes. <laughs> right. I could, I could knew exactly which light I could run and all mm -hmm. that. Stuff. And I could go down Island Avenue with like, you know, a hundred miles an hour because you had until nine 30. Mm -hmm. that that's when they'd lock the door. <laughs> so if you were in there at like nine 29, you could still make the FedEx. Yeah. And I didn't do that. Then there was a courier service out of 30th Street Station, mm -hmm. Egbert Courier Service, and for I want to say about huh? 50 bucks, uh -huh. they would they would same day deliver from 30th Street Station to to the office to the office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, so they would actually get on the Amtrak and just go right yeah. up, right to right. New York, right? right. Mm -hmm. They would buy they would buy tickets, and they would be a guy. In the front of 30 Street Station, where that World War II memorial is, the big angel. Yeah, the angel, yeah. And he would be there with this basically these two trunks. And you there would be all kinds of people running up and like giving the guy the thing. He pop whatever went in the trunk, they go running and they hop hop on the train, and they would take it up to New York and they would deliver it. That's that's amazing. <clears throat> so one of the constants that I was here from that and we could talk about this on the next episode is that not getting the work in wasn't an option. 
Oh, no. Right? Nobody said anything about, oh, I'm just going to call Shooter and tell him I'll get it in but like next week. <laughs> no, because if you miss, if you, first of all, if you, yeah. if you, if you, the, the ironic thing is books are later now than ever before. Mm -hmm. And yet we have technology that allows us to deliver work even faster. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I, when I'm done with this, I will letter these up tonight. And I'll uh, email them to the colorist, mm -hmm. um, to the editors at uh, King Feature, right? Now, in the old days, I'd have to take these and, you know, mail them. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, or go to King Features in New York and, and drop them off like a lot of the old guys did. Yeah. Um, but now nobody, they don't even have an art department there like they used to. Yeah. Right? In the old days, they actually had people that, that, could do paste up and well, they don't even have that stuff anymore. So you have to really give them everything mm -hmm. completely already done. Even if they want a type change, right. you have to do that now. They don't even do that anymore. Right. Yeah, that's um, wild. So um, yeah, and if you screwed up, then what would happen is you're kind of in the doghouse and they might get a fill-in issue or take the book away from you. Right. And you didn't get a lot of uh, uh, you didn't get a lot of strikes at bat, right? It didn't take much for people to get blacklisted did it you know there were you always hear stories of guys who seem to be able to get away with it for a while <laughs> like toth supposedly was a guy who would get away with stuff because mm. everybody loved his work so much yeah yeah you know? um but yeah in general if you were a guy who was a screw-up then they would like you but they would never give you work that was on a deadline yeah Right. And there's mm -hmm. guys and we, you know, my generation or the generation previous who are known to be guys who would be tied on deadlines. And those are never the guys that would get the job, you, you know, five pages on Friday to have in by Monday. Right. They, they wouldn't do it. Right. You know, they can't. They, they won't. They're not reliable in that way. Right. Right. So mm -hmm. um, that's all kind of gone now. I think Image kind of did that. Because it used to be uh, literally, if you if you screwed up, then you know you couldn't ink the book yourself, or they would take the book away. Mm -hmm. They would give pages out to guys in the bullpen and anybody with a with a thumb <laughs> and ink, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that you saw many jobs at that time called by inking by M hands, <laughs> many hands. Right, anybody who was in the bullpen who could hold a brush and a thumb got to ink on that page. You know? so <laughs> that's not what you wanted as a penciler after you just like killed yourself to draw something is mm -hmm. have, you know, somebody who sucks come in and ink it. Sure. <laughs> I love, I love the war stories, Mike. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we're going to start wrapping this up. I think this was a really great um, refresh episode. What do you think, Mike? I think it's, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I also like, being able to draw when I do it. So I think yeah. that's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's even because basically that's what happens when you and I are talking on the phone anyway, I'm yeah. drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just for anybody that came in late, uh, this is always going to be a fly on the wall style uh, podcast where we're just kicking it. Uh, I don't always have topics ready to go, but usually just the, the natural flow of conversation creates its own gravy. It creates its own juice. <laughs> uh, I, I just took a shower. 
Oh, right. I'm, I'm grapeless right now. <laughs> so, all right. Um, just one more hit for a sponsor. Uh, Pencil to Pencil is sponsored by the magnificent people over at Clip Studio Paint. If you're if you're still on the fence about using the software to create your digital output, what are you waiting for? You need to get on that. And also, as we go forward, and this is something, Mike, we started with the audio podcast. Maybe this is the perfect place to do it. Um, if you aren't already uh, signed up on our uh, Facebook page for Pencil to Pencil, uh, please go over there. And let's say next Wednesday, I will hold a raffle for Clip Studio Paint licenses. It's a full-blown Full full uh, software license for for Clip Studio Paint. Um, you got to sign up to get in it though, and I'll give you more information there later in the week. But you know we're legit. I you know I have stuff to give away, but you gotta you gotta follow us to get involved. Um, Mike, where can uh, the people find you on social media? Well, right here on Facebook, uh, pretty easy. And then also uh, Draw Manly on Instagram. Or if you just type my name in, you're going to get three Mike Manleys. You're going to get the ex-Prime Minister of Jamaica, <laughs> the uh, head of uh, Chrysler Jeep, and me. So uh, my email is mike at actionplanet.com, uh, drawman.blogspot.com, or Instagram, or here on Facebook. I'm pretty easy. I'm an easy guy to get a hold of. Is that why I emailed you and this Jamaican guy kept answering? I must have been doing <laughs> I'm why doing this all wrong. Why are you calling me all the time? <laughs> I hate Spider-Man. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. And I'm Jamar Nicholas. Uh, you can find me on, well, you're probably watching this on my Facebook page right now. Uh, <laughs> or I'm also on Instagram at jamar.nicholas. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jamar Nicholas, I think it's one word. And you can find both of us on penciltopencil.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be back here next Wednesday, same bad time, same bad channel. And you guys have a great night. Wash your hands and don't be racist. <laughs> cool.